I ended up hiring a very close friend of mine to take over our finances. And so I brought her in as a trusted advisor and a high ranking member of our staff. And she took advantage of my personal relationship and the access that she had to our finances. And she ended up embezzling nearly $300,000. That was gut-wrenching. Choose not to live in a world of filters. Realize your mistakes. Set the foundation for your success. Get some wins. Knucklehead Podcast. All right, welcome to another edition of Knucklehead Podcast. You got with you today, the Knucklehead Steven. And I'm excited about, well, a couple of things. One, you've heard me talking on this podcast. Those of you who are listening and you're in a community where you witness something happening within your organization or you, you see something happening within your, your local community and you want to get involved or you see yourself getting involved or you, you don't like what you're seeing. So you go to do what everybody does and you go right to social media and you start talking about it, right? We produce a podcast uh, out in Tennessee and there was a tragedy that happened there recently and they were able to call attention in a positive light and shed some positive reinforcement. The churches do the same thing. It's, it's cool. So what we're doing here today is we're doing a couple things. We have an opportunity to spend some time with who I believe to be a very good operator here, not just locally, but she's worked with, well, I don't want to go into her background for her. I'm going to let her do that. But we got Amy Johannesson uh, here with us today. Johanna, Johanna said, excuse me. Yep. I'll do push-ups later, Bob. Damn it. All right. Here we go. Uh, Amy, how in the hell are you doing? I'm good. Thank you. Good. It's nice to, it's nice to spend some time with, uh, uh, with folks. So for those of you who are just listening to Knucklehead for the first time, uh, Amy and I, obviously we know each other. We're, We're friends. I spent some time in the Marine Corps as did her husband. Great guy. But what's unique about Amy's experience is whenever I first got an opportunity to meet Amy or at least hear about her, it was her father who shared with me some of how Amy used persuasion techniques with vendors uh, to hold them accountable to the terms of the agreement and make sure that they understood her perspective. And so I, I always admired her ability to, to carry herself, not just through a conversation, through a negotiation, but just as an operator. And so I'm, I'm very excited to spend some time with somebody who's had ample opportunities to either make mistakes, recover from them, but then also in addition to that, see opportunities and, uh, and take action, you know, and that's, that's cool. Cause you have, I don't want to mischaracterize, how many children do you have, Amy? 17, according to you. No, I have five. I have five children. I've got a 20-year-old daughter who is a sophomore at OU. Uh, We have a high school senior, 17, almost 18 years old. I've also got a second grader, eight years old. And then I have two and a half-year-old boy-girl twins. Yeah, that's awesome. People are like, wow, you have your hands full. (laughs) You have no idea. 168 (laughs) hours in a week. All stages of parenting at the same time. So yeah, absolutely. college, the high school graduate, elementary school and toddlers. Well, yeah, I admire both you and your husband's ability to uh, focus your attention and project management, you know, calendar, calendar management, time, time management and blocking, tackling execution. It's, it's cool to see you two in motion here. So with that being said, so this is Knucklehead Podcast, right? A lot of times mm-hmm. on business podcasts, what you hear is you hear people talking about, you know, here's what I did really, really well, right? Mm-hmm. Everybody who's heard Knucklehead Podcast hears me talking about this at nauseum. Why? Because we live in a social media world where folks get duped into thinking that, all right, well, just because there's a presence there or just, some, just because somebody can craft a, a PR strategy and have paid media perform for them, that therefore they're some type of expert. And mm-hmm. you and I both know, you probably better than me, that your experience and the subsequent emotions that follow failure mm-hmm. really don't necessarily produce a successful outcome all the time unless you analyze what went wrong. And you try to prevent that from happening again. Right. And in your experience, 
you know, over the course of your career, give, give some people some flavor on, you know, maybe some times when, you know, you were dealing with a, a vendor, maybe characterize it. You could come up with a, a story or scenario where you had a visceral reaction where you didn't think it was going to go the way that it was supposed to. And then all of a sudden you find yourself with a successful outcome afterwards. Sure. Well, I guess really the motivation behind it for me is there are things that happen in life and situations that you're encountered with. And um, sometimes they don't go the way you planned. And you can use that as your excuse or you can use that as your motivation to get better, to do better the next time. And really, that's what we did uh, in our business. So we owned a specialty pharmacy that provided medication for long-term care patients across the state of Texas. And my dad and I owned that for 16 years. And, And during that 16 years, it changed gears, you know, shifted gears a few times. We started out in the retail space. We ended up selling off our retail, closing the doors, you know, kind of rebranding and redefining who we were and and really got into that niche pharmacy, you know, specialty pharmacy um, in the IDD world, intellectually and developmentally disabled. Um, And so we provided medication to group homes, you know, halfway houses type facilities. And we had some chronic pulmonary care, uh, children who were um, round the clock nursing staff required, you know, ventilators and such. And so we did their oral, their inhaled medication. And being in a business like that, and obviously, you know, your commitment is to the end user. You know, you have to get it right um, because it's medication. In a lot of cases, it's, you know, life or death. But also, uh, we had a commitment to, you know, our employees and staff. And, you know, the decisions that you make when you're in a leadership position, you know, it, it trickles down and affects everyone. You know, you're responsible for your family and your livelihood, but the family of everyone that you've employed as well. Um, and we, being in pharmacy, we were subject to state and federal guidelines and regulations. And of course, anytime reimbursement changed, Texas Medicaid changed, Medicare changed, depending on who was in office or, you know, what, what they were signing at the time. And we had to respond to that and it impacted us. It impacted us negatively from a financial perspective in a lot of ways. And at the end of 2011, I'll just tell you kind of as bad as it got. So at the end of 2011, with $32 million in top line sales and 55 employees, we were $7 million in debt. We were 50 days behind with our primary wholesaler. So the people that we bought drugs from so that we could fulfill prescription orders, we were 50 days behind. Um, and when we filed our taxes at the end of that year, we wrote down $2 million in losses. So it was bleak. Um, and we started in 2001 and we ended up selling at the end of 2016. But that turn, that 2011 was the turning point, as bad as it got. You know, again, it's an excuse. I mean, you can fold up and go home with a ton of debt and, you know, just drop the ball and let all those people who are depending on you down, or you can dig deep and figure out who you are and what you're made of and and how you can do better. We couldn't afford to hire, you know, a big time consultant to come in and fix this for us. We had to fix it for ourselves. Yeah. I gotta, I gotta stop you right here. One, for a couple of reasons. I I don't, I don't mean to interject, but you, you, you began this recanting of the story by saying that you have five kids, uh, yes. right? So you, you also are in business with your parents, or excuse me, with your yes. dad. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so let's hover over that for a second, because I've been involved in family businesses before where things, it's crazy, the dysfunctional communication patterns that exist. Yes. Yes. You're like, well, it's difficult enough in business to, to get right. things going. So talk real quick about some of uh, the challenges associated with uh, communication maybe in the workplace that, sure. that led to, you know, how do you successfully navigate some of those landmines with vendors who are, they, mm-hmm. they don't understand. They're trying to, you know, make ends meet themselves, let alone having to deal with your situation, right? Sure. So at the time, um, or so we started the company in 2001. I was a recent college graduate. I had done pharmaceutical sales for a couple of years. I was a young mother 
And my dad and I have a great working relationship. And that um, is on purpose because we had to make it that, you know, we had to grow into that. And that, that did take some struggle. Like you said, the, the dynamics of a family owned business, it's like a whole different game. <laughs> you know, business is hard enough, but when you layer that emotion and that father daughter role, I mean, there were plenty of times that we couldn't afford to pay our bills that, you know, I was in charge of, and he would call me yelling on the phone about why didn't you pay so-and-so? And I'm like, cause we don't have any money, <laughs> you know? And so we really had to, had to um, put some parameters around that relationship. You know, we talked about work at work, but I couldn't answer my phone after 6 p.m. when he was in the car driving home for 30 minutes and wanted to download and talk to someone because at 6 p.m. I'm juggling, you know, kids and dinner and homework and bath time and those kind of things. So we really had to be intentional about that. And my dad, and you know, you said you knew me through my dad or you met my dad first. He's very much the visionary, the big picture guy, you know, he sees the potential and he's going to grow it and he's going to sell it. And he makes all these promises to everyone. And we just keep throwing, you know, money and people at problems and we'll get there. And, and I'm more practical. I'm more detail oriented. And I was the, the integrator in our relationship, the, the chief operating officer. Um, and so when he would go out and make all these grandiose promises, it was on me to figure out how we were going to you know, pull that off. And so that was a challenge also. And so that dynamic, it really took some time and, and, and we struggled Internally and um, in the business, there were people and um, who you know maybe didn't res- or employees you know maybe didn't respect me because they thought I was just you know the boss's daughter um, and I really had to grow into my leadership potential and that took some development you know personal development and then of course with vendors you know I mean I remember being at a meeting and like I said we were fifty days behind with our primary wholesaler I mean they took that pretty seriously <laughs> they weren't happy about it and I remember being at a meeting and sitting in a conference room. And the man wouldn't look me in the eye. He only looked at my dad and talked to my dad and clearly didn't understand, you know, how things are running around here because my dad didn't really, you know, have all your answers. And, um, you know, that he threatened to cut us off and they weren't going to send us drugs. And, you know, I pretty much spelled out to him that they needed us more than we needed them, you know, because at some point, you know, you owe them so much that they can't afford to fire you as a customer, you know, they can't afford to let you go. And and I said, sure, you're welcome to cut us off, but then it's on you. You want to come in and run it? You fill these prescriptions. You tell these patients why they can't get their medication, you know? And, and again, maybe I just uh, was a little too bold or, but, but for me, it was, it was about, you know, really needing to take responsibility and take the reins. And sometimes when you're navigating through those messes, I mean, that's where I thrive. You know, when people would ask me what I did or what was my job description, I always said I was the chief firefighter. Because really, when you're in an operations role, it's whack-a-mole. I mean, you're constantly just putting out fires. And that's what I did, putting out fires and removing obstacles so that we could be the best team that we could. And, and you know, like I said, we were, in a, we were in a bad place. And it really took me stepping up and taking over uh, to navigate us out of that. And at one point, I, I even fired my dad. I sent him home <laughs> because we were butting heads and it wasn't working. You can't have... You know, it's like too many chiefs, you know, and it it didn't work out for us. I don't want to move away from that point too quickly, but it's fun to think about. All right. If you've ever hired somebody uh, to think about, all right, right, I have to let this person go. And now imagine that person is also the person who raised you. Right. It's it's like it's crazy when you when you start thinking about it. However, it provides this this example of what I call context switching. Right. So you're you're going from one telephone conversation when you're responding to an email, thinking about, all right, how's this going to be perceived? And then at the same time, you're, you know, you're just wrapping up one meeting, which those of you who are listening to this podcast, you understand that given the context of what you're trying to, to achieve, 
the process in which you get there, uh, it's always going to be just a little bit different. There's going to be some, you know, similarities between some of the structure and framework, for instance, consolidation and then distribution if you're talking about supply chain management, right? So when you deal with vendors and outside vendors, or if you're going to fold into the vertically integrated process, like you're, you have this, you have options and choices, but each option and choice carries with it a, a different set of challenges, right? And you just kind of talk through a few of them, communication being one, uh, you know, dysfunctional communication patterns in families spilling over into yes. business. And so yes. all of those things are difficult to manage. I don't want to fast forward, but let's fast forward real quick to come back. And that is what that did for your kiddos, what that did for the kiddos that went to school with your children. You started to observe this dynamic that exists with parents of your, you know, of your, of your kids' friends and, and all of those things. Now you start to see kind of the operating pattern of school systems and school districts kind of where you're living. So talk real quick about what you're doing currently. And like I said, we'll fast forward to come back, but talk real quick about what we're doing or what you're doing right now. What's currently happening where your kids are going to school and and what's happening. Okay. So, um, yeah. So with my experience in growing a business and building teams and putting out fires and, you know, bringing all that strategy collectively together, you know, I learned a ton from that. I, I got really good at it and I was able to pull our, you know, our company out of, you know, from the jaws of bankruptcy and eventually sell it. Um, and so, I've recently put together um, an advisory board for entrepreneurs that I get to I get to pursue my passion in solving business problems and being strategic about you know that kind of thing. And now um, I'm running for school board in my local community. That's something that um, you know, like you said, I, I start to observe patterns and, and ways that things are operating. And you know, it's like a business. I mean, the school board, you know, the ISD operates like a business. I mean, there's a CEO that's hired. He's a hired professional. You know, we're accountable to a larger organization as far as, you know, what our our testing requirements are, what our minimum standards for educating our children are. Um, And there are a lot of things that are left up to the local school board. The local school board actually has a lot more authority and autonomy then it tends to take advantage of in most places. And I certainly observed that in my community. Um, And so, you know, this is a, just another example of an organization I saw that I thought, you know, hey, I can add value. So right now in my local community, there are three positions up for re-election on the board. And, you know, I was the first to file for place two, which is the position that I'm running for. And, you know, I've already been serving the community. I've already been an active and involved mother and, you know, being on boards and committees and booster clubs and attending all of the events. And, you know, my husband and I volunteer in a number of capacities within our local community and professional organizations and charitable organizations. And so this was just an opportunity for me to kind of put all of my passions together, solving business problems, building teams. And obviously I care about my children because I'm a committed mother and I could put all of those passions together into the same focus and attention. Yeah. Well, I think it's cool to, to, to hover over uh, the topic of school boards for just a second. You talk about you know, uh, autonomy, authority, and also uh, to a certain extent, accountability to the community, right? Sure. So there's, there's characteristics, so to speak, of, of that, that not everybody's familiar with, right? They, a lot of people just have life going on, right? They, an example, other people with five kids or less kids or dogs or businesses to run, you know, at some point, things get lost in translation, right? You just, you just, there's this law of diminishing returns, your attention can only prioritize um, you know, your attention on certain things and focus on, on, you know, what's truly important to you. So when it comes to the school board, I mean, is this something you've always wanted to do? I mean, what's, what's something that, you know, when you think of somebody who would be a candidate for this particular role, what, what are they typically involved in? I think that that comes from a a variety of capacities. I mean, historically in school boards, I think that you've got some people who have a, a history in education. I don't, I'm not a teacher. 
you know, and like I said, you know, my business or my history has been business and, you know, growing a business, selling a business, now helping others do the same, which is what I do professionally as a coach. And so it takes a little bit of all of those things, you know, and that's why it's a board. I mean, all good boards, all good teams, in my opinion, should be made up of people from several different, you know, sharing different perspectives, different experiences that can bring all of that together for the collective good, you know, and look at things from a different angle and challenge each other. You know, I mean, growth and progress comes from change. I mean, you have to be willing to change. You can't just keep doing what you've always done and expect a different result. And so I think you really have to get out of your comfort zone sometime. And, you know, friction puts out, you know, the best possible outcome. Um, And so I think that, you know, the ideal candidate obviously has to be passionate. They have to be passionate about what they're doing. If you don't have a passion for it and it's just, you know, a stop for a resume builder or, you know, something to to put on, you know, your social media or something, well, that's probably not the the right motivation. You know, that's self-serving. And this is really about servant leadership and particularly where our kids involved, you know, and my kids saw me build a company, build a business while, you know, I was raising them. And I think that that's been a benefit to them because they, they've heard conversations about, you know, making payroll and the responsibility that we have to the community and to the family and to being a part of the solution. And I have never been one to stand back and, you know, watch things pass me by. And you asked if I've always wanted to be involved in school board. And for the last several years, yes, I have. Um, and of course, that comes down to, you know, timing, what's right for your family, what's right, you know, for the position, what's right for the community. I have two and a half year old twins. So for the last three years, none of that was an option for me. <laughs> you know, it took a little bit to get over, you know, this hump and they're, you know, preschool ready. And I've gotten, you know, support of friends and family in the local community that help with them, which is great. But yeah, so I sat on a district committee uh, end of 2019, early 2020, and um, got to be a part of the process, you know, planning for, it was the middle school academic enhancement committee. So planning for the future of middle schools within our ISD um, and what that looked like. And I really appreciated the work that went into it, the research that went into it, you know, that we have to look at things from varying perspectives to really make the best choice because you're impacting children and you're impacting, you know, the organization of the ISD, the way that it runs and operates. And I mean, even to the expense lines of, you know, how we're going to build another school, you know, all of the decisions that we're making have, you know, all of these varying um, spokes that branch out from that one decision. So I've recognized the importance of it. I was happy to be involved in that process. Um, and, and this is an opportunity, you know, we've had some of our board members have been sitting in the same position for 10 or 12 years or more, you know, um, and it's an opportunity to get some fresh perspective in there, you know, the, the community that we live in, Rockwall, has had a lot of growth uh, and change in the last 10 years. And the, the diversity, you know, is expanding and the needs of young families are changing. I mean, we've got lots more young families moving in. And it's just time for someone who has, has walked that walk and lives in that position to really jump in. And, and I could use my business expertise and, you know, I can read a balance sheet and a profit and loss statement and understand what that means and understand the impact of those decisions while also, you know, want to be passionate about doing what's right for kids, what's right for educators, because they're our front line. I mean, we've got to protect them. Well, you said something that, again, I I said that we were going to fast forward to kind of back up here. So let's talk about how change has been a constant, right? And you talked about friction being a constant. Uh, I think it's, I think it's important that when you talk about the physiological response, when things are, are happening around you that are so shocking sometimes that don't go the way that they're supposed to, how that can impact decision-making, right? And, and then obviously the subsequent fallout to decisions as a result of, you know, having to deal with new data and new coming in and not asking, not asking necessarily the, right, the hard questions or not being able to deal with the hard answers. Those are, mm-hmm. those are characteristics that are, I don't want to call them unique to business because it happens 
you know, uh, in education happens in paramilitary, military, there's uh, educational institutions, you name it. There's a constant variable of change associated with each one of those. And there's nuances away for, you know, with each one of those as well. But I think it's important to hover over the experience of at the end of the year, knowing that it's a business that you run with somebody else. And there's the, the, the volume of loss that you're talking about. Talk real quick about the time that it took to go from the $7 million, and I don't want to mischaracterize it, so about $7 million or so approximately, to the successful sell. It took a couple of years. You know, none of those things happens overnight. We certainly didn't get in that position overnight. We started the business in 2001. It was 10 years later, by 2011, that we were that far gone, you know, that far in the hole. Um, and, was, and there, it, was there some extenuating circumstances, some difficult employees, like some, some situations where you had some really good relationships that maybe didn't turn out the way that you wanted them to? Sure, sure. There was that too. Um, some hires that probably didn't have the best interests of the, of the company in mind. Um, one of the things, and certainly our, the magnitude of our loss was not the direct result of one thing or one person's actions, but it was probably um, not paying as close attention to, to some of the things and some of the hiring um, as we should have. People who didn't have our best interests at heart, like I said. And in fact, I ended up hiring a very close friend of mine to take over uh, our finances. I guess we were nine years in at the time. And was, I mean, she was my best friend. <laughs> we were friends for 17 years. Uh, she came from a finance and inventory accounting background. She, you know, was a director level position. We inventory, I mean, that's what we manage. It was like pills. That was our inventory. And it was distribution, essentially. I mean, we buy it from the wholesaler. We count them out. We send them to the end user, you know. Um, and so brought her in as a trusted advisor and, you know, a, a high ranking member of our staff. And she took advantage of my personal relationship and the access that she had to our, our finances. And she ended up embezzling nearly $300,000. And I sent her to federal prison. In fact, I had to testify against her in federal court. And so that was, um, that was gut-wrenching from an emotional perspective. You know, not only the betrayal, because I think that was probably looking back on it now. And like I said, that was 10 years ago, nearly. Looking back on it now, I see that that was the most dysfunctional relationship of my entire life. We've had people on before talking about this that have had similar situations happen to them, you're thrust into this role of this interpersonal and professional relationship, just like those meetings, the, the response to that, it's visceral, it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's ugly. Uh, and to your point, there's not a pretty outcome afterwards, right? Yeah. So you, federal and prison is not a pretty place to be, right? So that's, but I think I wanted to hover over that for just a second. One, just because yeah. It's important to realize that coming away from, uh, you know, from that particular scenario, it's got to be all you can do to go back and say, you know what, we're still going to be able to squeeze blood out of this turnip. Even in spite of that gigantic setback here, there's still going to be a positive outcome. And so Mm -hmm. uh, that requires a a significant amount of grit, uh, focus, even, and, and that's what I was interested in you talking about because mistakes Mistakes cause people to slow down and slow down. Yeah, is absolutely. Not, yeah. I mean, at some point you realize we're going to have to, I mean, you know, you can either fold up and go home and just not be responsible to any of it, or you can get real focused. And, and that's what we did. We channeled that energy. And at that point I stepped up and took over. That's when I took over operations at the company, you know, um, my dad had his role and I had my role. They were very clearly defined. Of course, you know, we had done some personal development that helped us get there. We were both members of Vistage, which uh, really taught us to think like leaders, get out of the business to work on the business, you know, introduce some different concepts and skills that help develop us into those roles. And be um, real quick, what Vistage is an executive leadership development program, correct? Yes. Is that, yes. Okay. It's like a, P, uh, a CEO peer group. Got yes. It. 
Um, and so we were both members of a different Vistage team, which was great because it's it's nice to have that trusted group of advisors that you can process issues with, you know, learn from. They bring different sets of skills to the table. It's amazing how many people actually have been through an embezzlement. A lot of business owners have, you know, and it's always someone close to them, didn't see it coming, you know, they were too trusted, they got a little too close, took advantage of their relationship. And that was exactly the situation that we found ourselves in. And so, so yeah, he, he and I had been in Vistage for a couple of years and that helped grow and develop us as leaders. And we couldn't afford, like I said, to hire anyone to come in and fix it. We had to fix it ourselves. So we learned to get really lean. And we started implementing some processes um, that we learned. And and really, there's a framework of process called the EOS, the Entrepreneurial Operating System. Um, And it was something that we we read about. We started introducing to our employees. And we we brought our leadership team in and said, you're a part of this. We're going to fix this together. And, and really it was great. You know, it's, it, everyone started thriving in that environment and it was, you know, a regular meeting rhythm, which I still preach to, to the businesses I coach now, like a regular meeting rhythm. You have to meet at the same time on the same day of the week, every week, everyone needs to know, no one misses, you know, and that's, you know, when you do that, when you establish that, it's just like with children. I mean, you've got to give them the guidelines, you know, you've got to show them where the guardrails are, you give them the tools, you give them the resources, you remove their obstacles, you hold them accountable. And and you're available and it's predictable and everyone thrives in that situation, in that setting. And so that's what we did. And the people who don't buy in, weed themselves out pretty easily. (laughs) You know, I mean, there's not a whole lot that goes into, you know, determining if you have the right people on your bus at that point, because they don't want to be there any more than you want them there. And everyone kind of knows that it it becomes real clear, you know, Yeah, I mean, communication does that, right? So you have the ability to say, all right, what frequency is this person Mm -hmm. operating on? And you're talking about establishing a baseline frequency. So Mm -hmm. if people don't, People don't, people don't want to play at that level, then it is what it is. Yeah. I, I understand. We so got I real, we got real um, focused on measuring, you know, metrics and holding everyone to accountable to, to the metrics that we were looking at. You know, when you look at it regularly and you talk about it, it's not intimidating anymore. It's not a bad thing. It's, you know, are we on track? Are we off track? If we're off, why? What can we do to fix it? You know, so it was just information. It wasn't, you know, like punitive if we were off track. Well, that makes That makes sense. So like, let's, let's even talk about what we just talked about a second ago. We talked about how mistakes and the impact of making those mistakes for the first time, man, and actually it, it, it leads to a slowdown, right? Cause you have to examine yeah. what went wrong. If, if you're going to do that, if you're running at a pace where you just, you almost blip over them, that's, I guess that that, that carries with it its own set of circumstances. But sure. when it comes to something like what you're doing now, right? So you're working with different business owners and even being involved in the community uh, run for school board right now, where do you see things going, right? Cause you, You've been able to establish this this, uh, this pattern recognition skill, and then also the ability to kind of diagnose kind of where problems or root cause analysis here. So let's talk a little real quick uh, these over these next few minutes, kind of where things are going. Like, what are you are you going to continue to work with with uh, entrepreneurs? Yes, absolutely, absolutely. So I I started a small group for entrepreneurs. It's an advisory board. We meet monthly, and there's a set agenda. We process issues. We learn, you know, from each other and from outside and um, subject matter experts that I bring in. And um, I'm also working on my EOS certification right now. So I'm going to implement. I'm, I'm going to be a certified EOS implementer as well, which is what uh, my dad is doing now. And um, so I will continue that because my passion is for you know identifying these these problem areas and helping people solve them. And I it's very rewarding, you know. And as a small business owner, you know how hard it is when you're just clawing to like keep your head above water, and you can get really overwhelmed when you carry the weight of the world like that. And so it, it, it's a great community, you know, to be able to bring people together and and, and provide that for them. Um, and then you know, like I said, I want to bring that expertise to the school board as well. You know, I, I I think that there is such tremendous value in 
a thriving team, a team that works well together, you know, and, and it's hard to find. But you have to be purposeful about getting there. And, you know, that's the, the great thing about elections is, you know, you can describe who you are and what you're passionate about and why you're running. And, you know, people, they're basically interviewing you to see if you're worthy of the job, you know. And when you look at the team as it's performing now, is it is it what you want or do you want more, you know, for, for the future? And for me, I, I don't necessarily have a problem with the way that the team is performing now. I think that we've got all the right tools. I think that there's been, you know, a, a history of success in our district. I also think that we're lacking some transparency um, and open lines of communication. And I think that there's an opportunity for us to really get granular about metrics, especially given the gap year that we've experienced as a result of COVID, you know, whether it's remote learning, in-person learning, hybrid learning, not learning as the case may be. I mean, quite frankly, I have a high school senior and I promise you, he hasn't learned a single thing this year. He is going through the motions and checking the boxes and doing the bare minimum to get by because that's all that's expected right now for him. You know, our younger students, um, you know, my son is, my younger son, my second grader is in school five days a week in person, which is great. Um, He's wearing a mask and sitting behind plexiglass and having a social distance from his friends, which presents its own set of challenges to the way that younger students learn. Um, And particularly, he's a dyslexic student. So he's having to, you know, overcome the challenges of dyslexia with all those obstacles and barriers as well. And so I think that you know, we, we have an opportunity right now um, to really examine the, the year that we've had and put some milestones and measures and metrics in, in place. And we have to hold our, you know, our district accountable to do it to make sure that th- the kids can bounce back from this. You know, and kids are resilient. I get that. You know, they can actually tolerate a lot more than we give them credit for. I wish that they weren't in a position where they had to. And still, as a mom, I want to do everything I can to protect them from these circumstances, but the circumstances are what they are. And now we have to figure out how we're going to come back from it. And that's, you know, problem solving. And that's what I want to be a part of. What you just talked about there, let's not, I, again, I've said it about four times over this episode, let's not gloss over it, right? So if you're listening to this episode, my call to action to you is this, like you, if you're listening to it and you, you don't happen to live in Rockwell, Texas, you happen to live in, you know, a huge listenership overseas, right? So you have uh, a bunch of folks who are, you know, military folks who are starting their business, they're beginning the transition process connect with people who are similar to what you're hearing here, right? One, because we may not have the answer, but we can show you a process, show you a framework. There's some things that Amy has referenced that have surfaced up learning opportunities for her, right? But there's also, there's also other organizations that you can get involved in and with to help you. I don't want to say just reducing your learning time, but like you, you can, you can go and you can actually exponentially increase your opportunities for learning just by connecting with other people. There are resources out there. So take advantage of it. That's exactly what, that, so that's my call to action. If you're not in Rockwell. Cool. This, this is probably happening. If you're in the CONUS, if you're in somewhere in the United States, it's probably not all that dissimilar than what you're hearing uh, other people talk about. So right. if you find yourself wanting to get involved or, uh, you know, interested that's connect with us. So Amy, just real quick, let's land the plane here. Let's okay. talk real quick about how can people get in touch with you in regards to your, uh, to your business, right? Going forward. And then how can people support you right now? What's, what's the best way for people to, to reach out and, and help out? Okay. So the company that I work with is Linsky Management Services and it's linskymanagement.com. That's L-Y-N-S-K-E-Y, linskymanagement.com. And um, so professionally, you know, I'd, I'd love to hear from anyone, even if it's just to have a conversation or, you know, to, to mount some ideas or figure out how you can maybe find something like this in your area. And, um, you know, I'd be happy to help with that. And um, as a candidate for school board, I have a Facebook page and a, a website, amy for risd.com. Um, and, and so I'd love to 
have your questions, comments. I post a lot of videos. I do some blog entries and, you know, you can see a beautiful picture of my family. <laughs> um, but really, it, it's about connecting with the community and finding out what's important to, to our taxpayers, to our parents, to our educators. You know, our educators have had the most challenging year of their life trying to juggle all of this. And I really feel for them. And, and, and I think that it's important that their voice be heard as well. So, you know, I, I encourage anyone to reach out to me and I'm happy to have a conversation. Well, I appreciate you taking some time and actually, you know, putting, putting a couple of things out there in terms of how can folks get in touch with you. So that was LinskyManagement.com. Is that right? Yes. LinskyManagement.com. All right. So for you knuckle draggers out there like myself, just Google it, right? If you come up with a bad, <laughs> if you come up with a bad spelling, cool. Hey, me too. Um, and then as far as uh, being in the local community, if you're in, you know, the Rockwall area, she just told you a couple of different ways that you can get involved. It doesn't necessarily mean that you uh, agree with everything that you're hearing. That's the beauty of today's ecosystem is you, you can actually hear people who don't agree with you. And guess what? You can have a conversation as opposed to, you know, this dysfunctional pattern of shouting at each other because everybody knows that, that you know, just doesn't work very well, right? I mean, yeah, you may get your voice heard for a second, but most of the time you're not going to get folks to, to buy into what it is that you're talking about. So you can have a discussion. You can have an open forum. Amy just told you a couple different ways. You can get in touch with her there. All right. So before we wrap, Amy, anything else you want to cover? Any, any saved rounds, so to speak, that I like to talk about? I don't think so. I think we talked quite a bit about it. You know, I mean, I understand that the the purpose of this is knucklehead. You know, what knucklehead decisions have you made that brought you here? And really, for me, it's there's there's a ton of them. <laughs> uh, you know, but really, it's it, it's finding the success in the failures. You know, I mean, the the struggle that we had with our company and as 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 low as we were, you know, we were able to turn that around in two years through a lot of you know grit and perseverance and hard work, of course. And you know, I lost personal relationships during that time, obviously, because of you know the finance person we had to let go. And, you know, we had some changes in staff because sometimes the people who are with you in the beginning and are going to get you to from point A to point B can't necessarily take you to Z and you have to change. You have to reprioritize as the needs of your business change. And we certainly did. Um, but, you know, it's finding the success and the failures and, and using that as an opportunity to springboard you and to propel you into the future rather than your excuse. You know, we all have excuses for why we can quit, why we can throw our hands up, you know, again, I could go to social media and complain all I want about everything I don't like that's happening in Rockwall or in the school system or, you know, so-and-so didn't wear a mask or so-and-so did wear a mask or they asked me to put my mask on or, you know, I mean, any of that, like everyone else is doing, I don't want to be a part of the complaining. I want to be a part of the solution. And so that's why I'm willing to put myself out there and get involved. And I don't have all the answers and I don't know everything. And especially from a school board perspective, there is a lot to learn, and, and but I'm willing to learn and I'm willing to admit, I don't know, but I'll find out. And, you know, with what I'm learning, I'm realizing that we're not taking advantage of our full potential. And I don't want to be mediocre. <laughs> you know, if we have an opportunity to implement some changes so that we could, you know, maximize the return for Rockwell ISD, I want to be a part of that. Yeah. If you're, so if you're hearing uh, what Amy's saying here, and I'm not putting words in her mouth, if you want your future to be better than your past. It's important to recognize the mistakes that you made, where you've screwed up. I've screwed up as, as a bunch of times today, right? As my, my wife and other folks that I work with readily t let me know about all the time. <laughs> I've, got, I've given them plenty of opportunities to uh, communicate what where my shortcomings are. But the reason why we call this knucklehead is, is simply this. And there's not one of us that's got this all figured out. It's through a series of mistakes and screw-ups along the way, realizing that you're not made of glass. You can get punched in the mouth. You can get, you know, scrape your knees. You can deal with learning challenges. You can deal with bankruptcies. You can deal with loss of personal relationships. And quite frankly, a lot of the time, those are what lead to the success that you're hoping to find, right? And that's, that's the that's point right. of this. It's not, it's not uh, you know what, 
I'm awesome because I was able to get the VC backing and I got right into the net, you know, the right network community, or I was in this, you know, Ivy league education, all of which are great, phenomenal opportunities. But the large reason why a lot of those things exist and why you're, you're able to access those particular networks is because people have leveraged the inertia that they've been able to build and the momentum overcoming the mistakes and they do that in as much ferocity as, as those things working against them. So, Amy, I appreciate you taking the time to give us a little insight as to what the heck's happening with you. Appreciate you giving some backstory uh, on uh, and sharing some of the, uh, the tough to talk about things that have happened along the way, but have also led to some great learning lessons. So, absolutely. Uh, Happy to do it. absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So you like listening to Knucklehead. We got new episodes coming at you every Tuesday. Uh, if we miss, cool. Check in the next Tuesday. You'll get you'll get one then. And uh, follow us all over social. We're easy to find. We don't make ourselves difficult to find. Amy told you how to get in touch with her. LinskyManagement.com. And if you're in the Rockwall community, go to Facebook and go to... What is it? Amy what? Amy4RISD.com. Boom. There you go. All right. So you have your marching orders. Everybody else, appreciate y'all. Have a good rest of the day. See you guys. 